Well, church family, would you turn now in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 19, please. Beginning at verse 19. As you're finding it, I want to tell you a little story. It's a story that kind of reminds us we have to really be careful what we say to our children and grandchildren. Bobby, Bobby was sitting on the porch talking to his grandpa when he innocently asked, Grandpa, do you, do you know how to make animal sounds? I sure do, Grandpa replied. Well, what sort of animal sound would you like to hear? Well, how about, how about a, a toad, a toad? Do you know how, how to uh, sound like a toad? Anyone here know? Everyone knows what a toad is? What's a toad? Kind of like a frog, right? Okay. So he says, how about, how about a toad? Uh, can you make a sound like a toad? Well, sure, said Grandpa. So he, uh, he cupped his hands. He cupped his hands to his mouth and, and, and went, Groak, groak. Or however it's supposed to go. So Grandpa says, how did you like that? How would you like that? And Bobby said, yay, yippee, 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 yippee. And he was jumping up and down, jumping up and down. Uh, and the grandson said, uh, we're going, we're going to Disney World. We're going to Disney World. Huh? Grandpa said, what, what? Um, uh, what are you talking about? What, how's that? What's Disney World got to do with me croaking? And uh, grandson said, well, uh, Grandpa, Grandma said, Grandma said so. Grandma said that after you croak, we're going to go to Disney World. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> For those of you who didn't get that, uh, talk to Dr. Lisa after service, okay? So, our theme today is how the risen Jesus can impact your life and mine. From John 20, beginning at verse 19 here, we read, that Sunday evening, this is the evening of the first Easter, the evening after the morning when it was found that Jesus had risen from the dead. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he, Jesus, said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. My friends, I want to direct your attention today to this first very beautiful truth, and it is this. 
the fact that Jesus rose from the dead can bring you and me joy. Amen? It can bring you and me joy. Obviously, this comes out of verse 20, where we read very clearly there, as Jesus spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and side. They were filled. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They were filled with joy because they finally began to realize that truly Jesus is risen. Now, why should Jesus' resurrection bring us joy? Obviously, Easter was just a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, but I've wanted us to spend some time on these resurrection passages and the, the days that followed, okay? Why should the Lord's rising from the dead bring us joy? Well, because Jesus' resurrection tells us that Jesus keeps his word and his promises. Amen? Tells us that he keeps his promises. We read, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, we read the following. Let's read it together from the big screen. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed, uh, into, will betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. On the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And there are many other passages of scriptures uh, where Jesus was telling the disciples and us that indeed he was going to be crucified, but on the third day, he would be risen. Now, the fact that Jesus keeps his word and his promises is so important to you and to you and to me because Jesus had made many other promises to us as well, which because of the resurrection, you and I can be assured that his words, his promises are for real. We're just going to take a few moments to look at a few of Jesus' promises for those of you making notes, for instance, you might want to might put A. There is the promise that God will meet your needs. Promise that the Lord will meet your needs. Matthew 6, 33 says, uh, read it with me from the big screen. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Notice it says he will give you everything you need. Doesn't say he will give you everything you greed. Okay? There's the promise that God will meet our needs. Point B, the promise that Jesus will be with you. Promise that Jesus will be with you. Matthew 28, verse 20, read it with me. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those are the words of Jesus. See, there's the promise of peace in your mind and heart. John 14, 27, read it with me. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, 
So don't be troubled or afraid. My friends, as you are going through whatever it is you are going through, think upon, think upon this beautiful promise from Jesus, okay? And the, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. What's troubling you? What's troubling you? Think of the Lord's promise. He says he wants to give us peace. Amen? Amen? All right, let's go to point D. There's the promise to make you holy, to make us holy. John 17, verses 17 and 20. Read those verses with me, would you? Jesus is praying. This is from the high priestly prayer. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus said, make them holy by your truth. Make them, them. That's those disciples he was speaking to and us, and us. He is able to make us holy. You and I can trust in the Lord to make us holy, to change and to purify our hearts. We don't have to. We don't have to live constantly sinning and doing wrong. We're going to talk a little bit about this later further. Okay, Jesus prayed for us to be holy, set apart, cleansed on the inside through his spirit. And so, my friends, I want to invite you to pray, Lord, purify my heart, purify me, cleanse me, sanctify me through and through so that I have the right motives, the right attitude, the right spirit. Is there an amen in the house? All right. Here's another promise from Jesus. E, promise to give you eternal life in heaven. John 11, verse 25, 26, gives us this beautiful promise and other passages of scriptures as well. Read it out loud with me. Jesus told her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this Martha, put your own name in there. Do you believe this? Put your name in there. Do you believe this? Jesus, Jesus promises us eternal life in heaven. Amen? Now these are just a few of the promises which Jesus made, and you and I can bank on them. We can bank on them on the fact that Jesus kept and keeps his word and his promises. Hallelujah. Jesus rose from the dead just as he said would happen, and we can be certain that uh, Jesus has the authority and the power to carry out all of his other promises recorded in his, in his holy word for you and for me. And the great news, the great news is Jesus rose from the dead. The fact that he rose from the dead ought to bring you and me much joy, just, just as when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the Sunday evening after he rose from the dead, and as John 20, 20 says, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They were filled with joy. Amen? Amen. I take you now to a second beautiful truth, and it is this. All right? The risen Jesus, read it with me. The risen Jesus has given you and me a mission. 
This comes out of verse 21 where it says, Again, he, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you. Each believer, each one of us, is to, is to be a what? We are to be a mouth to speak for Jesus. We are to be feet to run his errands, hands to do his work, and finances to support his mission. Amen? All right, here it is again. We are to be a mouth to speak for Jesus. We are to be feet to run his errands, hands to do his work, and finances to support his mission. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Ultimately, that, ultimately, what is the mission which the Lord has given you and me? All right, what is the mission? Well, his mission is summarized beautifully in the words of Jesus here in uh, Matthew 28, in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, where uh, we read, and uh, many of you are familiar with it. Let's read it out loud together. All right. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that, my friends, is the mission Jesus gives to you and me. Amen? And that is our mission here in our city and in our province. That is our mission worldwide and that's why we have 737 missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene. And that's why we have world mission offerings or world evangelism offerings, as we sometimes call it. And thanks again, thanks again to the many of you who gave to our world missions offering so that we reached and, and surpassed our goal and gave just over 61,000 for missions. Praise God. All right? Now, I was thinking, I was thinking, isn't it, isn't it somewhat humbling to think that Jesus, who made the universe, has entrusted you and me with his mission? Think about it. Isn't that an awesome thought? Brother Prasad, isn't that an awesome thought? Okay, I got the Prasad there, and I was looking at the other Prasad back there. It's really something. But before, before you can sense or have a burden for carrying out Jesus' mission, you yourself have to become a sincere follower, a sincere disciple of Jesus. And so the question is, are you, are you a wholehearted disciple, believer, follower of Jesus? How can you be? Here's simply how. Pray and ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. The Bible says repent and believe. Believe that Jesus died to pay the price for your sins and that on the third day he rose victorious over the grave. 
Commit your life to Jesus. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I want to invite you who are here in the Rosewood Church Sanctuary. I want to invite radio and internet listeners to wholeheartedly commit yourself to our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you? Will you? For those of you who are indeed true followers of Jesus, as you and I look ahead to the next few months, as we look ahead, think about this. Who in our circle of relationships can you and I pray for and try to encourage to become a believer and a disciple of Jesus? Think about one, two, three, or four names. The most important, the most important thing you and I can ever do is to help someone put their faith and trust in Jesus so that when their time on earth comes to an end, their eternal home will be in heaven with Jesus. Amen? And by the way, I was looking at a report this week, a report done by Lifeway Research, which indicated some probably surprising news to a lot of you. This Lifeway Research indicated that 51% of the people surveyed said they would agree, they would agree to attend church through a personal invitation by a friend or a family member. I thought, wow, 51% of people would agree to attend church through a personal invitation by a friend or a family member. What does that tell us? It tells us your invitation, your personal invitation is powerful. It's awesome. It's like, wow. That means, that means in the weeks ahead, if you invite family members and friends to church, about half the time, they will probably come. So let's try it. Let's try it. When I was a teenager, a young teenager, someone invited me to church, invited me to the Kennedy Road Church of the Nazarene. I started to go there. I had not been going to church anywhere. And it was because of that invitation that I, I, I began to hear the preaching of the gospel from our pastor in Sunday services. I began to hear about Jesus through the Sunday school classes. And then I came to the point where I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. But it started because someone invited me to church. Who is someone that you can invite to the Lord's house in this coming month? Think about it. Pray for that person or two or three or four or five people. Amen? Let me take you to a third beautiful truth. And this third truth is this. The risen Jesus wants each of us to receive the Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 
22, it says, Then he, Jesus, breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this was somewhat of a, an unusual situation here without me getting into a lot of details. But the bottom line is, the Lord wants each of us to receive the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, verse 13, Jesus says this. Read it out loud with me. So, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Then uh, read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. All right? Together. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Did you catch, did you catch that beautiful promise where the Bible verse says, when you, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Those of you, those of us, of us who have believed in Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit. You can accomplish more for the Lord than you think you can. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit working with you in you and through you, praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. Glad to hear someone said yes. Now, some of you might be wondering as to what is the difference? What is the difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's the answer. When a person repents of their sins and, be, and begins to believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes resident in us. All right? After we first become believers, we have the privilege of later coming to a point in time, coming to a point in time where we say, Lord, I surrender every room, I surrender every closet, I surrender every nook and cranny of my life to you. Lord, I surrender my money, my abilities, my priorities, my, my, my time, I surrender my will to you. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Now we might say that up until that time, the Holy Spirit has been resident in us. And when we truly surrender everything and pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then we make him president in us, okay? He is resident when we first believe, but we can come to a point in time when we truly make him president of our lives. Amen? So the question is, where do you stand today? Is the Holy Spirit resident? Which is great, which is great. 
But we can move beyond him just being resident in us and he wants to become ultimately president, the one who is truly in control of our lives. In the second point uh, of this message, we spoke of how Jesus has given you and me a mission. We need, we need the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit in carrying out his mission. Amen? In, in fact, there, there is a Bible verse, there's a Bible verse, Acts 1.8, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that marvelous? And by the way, just before I teach, teach a little bit more about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, let's look at verse uh, 23 in John's Gospel, chapter 20, where we read earlier. Verse 23 says, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, some of you might be puzzled are confused as to what that verse means. I want us to be clear on this. No one, no one can forgive another person's sins except God. Only the Lord can do that. What verse 23 means is that if someone, for example, says to you, friend, I truly seek forgiveness of my sins, I repent of my sins, then you can honestly say, you, 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 I can honestly say, I want you to know that on the basis of God's holy Bible, you are forgiven. You got that? You are forgiven. Uh, if a person, however, says they are unwilling to repent, then you can truly and truthfully say, I am sorry, but you are not forgiven because you are unwilling to repent of your sins. And that is essentially what verse 23 means, okay? All right, let's go back to verse 22, where it says, then he, Jesus, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. A little bit ago, I, I spoke of how when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we first receive the Holy Spirit, he becomes what in us? He becomes resident in us, right? When we repent of our sins and believe that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins and believe that on the third day he rose from the dead, we receive the Holy Spirit. We are, sometimes we say, we are born again or we are saved. We become Christians. It is, it is the start, it is the start of our holiness journey. Years ago, I came up with some drawings to, uh, to help us better understand how I believe the Holy Spirit works in us. Uh, then, uh, just a few years ago, I was in conversation. I was in conversation with my son, Jeremy, and I was using the basic drawings that I had come up with years back uh, that I had made 
I, I was using those drawings to teach my son about holiness and how the Holy Spirit works in most of our lives. When I finished the teaching with him, Jeremy said, Jeremy said, Dad, Dad, these drawings really, really make sense to me, and they really help me to understand how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And then Jeremy said, Dad, can I take your basic drawings, and using my computer, I can improve them. I can improve them. I'm always happy when someone can improve on what I do. And I said, well, sure, son, sure. Uh, do your fancy stuff. And, uh, and then show it to me. I just want to make sure it's correct, correct biblically. And um, I said, you know, show me what you're intending to do with my drawings. So here are the drawings in just a moment, improved by Jeremy Stavropoulos, which I hope will help you as well. All right? So Raven has kindly put on the screen the, the, first, the first slide there, which basically says understanding our holiness, and I'm just going to go over here a little bit so I can use my gadget, my gadget. Uh, you know, I always wanted to have one of these pointers. One of these pointers, which worked. Oh, there it is. There, there. Can you see it? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I, I never got one of these until just yesterday. I always thought they were probably expensive, and I never, never went to get one. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to Staples and see if I can get, get, get one that isn't uh, expensive. And it, to my surprise, they're not expensive. Anyway, okay. All right. Now, here's what I came up with. Um, I want to ask you to imagine that these six boxes that you see on the big screen represent a person. Now, I could have chosen eight boxes, 12 boxes, 16 boxes, 20 boxes. It doesn't matter. I, I chose just six boxes to make it more simple, okay? Now, the question is, what do these boxes represent? First of all, in this diagram, this essentially represents the unsaved person. This is, this is when a person as yet has not repented of their sins, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, so uh, you can see the boxes are empty. One of the boxes there I, I've put in red and, and marked it as carnal nature. That's that, that's that tendency towards sinfulness, the carnal nature or the sinful nature. All right? So what might some of those boxes in our lives represent? All right, let's go to the next slide. Well, the boxes might represent the different aspects of, of your life or mine. Things like our relationships, our money, our gifts, our priorities, our time, our will. What else? What else might those boxes in our lives represent? What else? Pardon me? Friendships, yes, good. What else? Our, our jobs, okay, yes, good. Anything else? All right, if we took time here, we could come up with a very, very thorough list. We could, we could make it uh, really, really complete. Let's go to the next, uh, the next slide, okay? All right, the Holy Spirit 
when we as yet have not repented of our sins, the Holy Spirit, as you can see in the diagram, is, is outside of the person, outside of all those boxes, okay? Outside of the person. And, uh, and the Spirit of God is knocking, knocking on our door. In fact, Jesus says, Revelation 3.20, why don't we go to that verse? Next slide. Here, read it out loud. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, okay? And so let's go to the next slide. So, the Holy Spirit, when we repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, comes in, comes into our lives. He becomes resident. He, come, he becomes resident in our lives, all right? And so he comes into us and uh, becomes, becomes the one who starts to work inside of us. And what does he do? He does, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, read it out loud. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All right? So that's what happens. This is, this is a point in time when we are saved, we are born again, as we sometimes say. Well, as we continue to live our lives, as we continue to read the Bible and we pray and we come to the Lord's house, to Bible studies, to uh, worship times together, to uh, small groups, then we begin to say, Lord, I want, I want your spirit to take control of more areas of my life so that maybe when we first believed, he became resident, but we didn't as yet allow him to take control of other areas of life. As we grow in our relationship with him, then we begin to say, Holy Spirit, take control of this area and that area. And we can call that gradual sanctification. Romans 7, verses 14 to 25 talks about it there, all right? And so you can see, in gradual sanctification, we start to allow the Holy Spirit more and more control of our lives. So that if we go to the, to the next slide, it will look like this, okay? We see the Holy Spirit in more of the boxes. Now, with all of us, it can really vary as to how soon we allow the Holy Spirit to take control of more areas of our lives. But, but we believe that we can come and should come to a point in time where we pray for entire sanctification. It is a, a turning point, all right? It is a very significant point in time where we say, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. Lord, sanctify me through and through. In fact, this term, entire sanctification, comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 23, where, where we read up there, read it out loud with me. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, 
May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Notice the first, excuse me, the first part. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Let's go to the next slide, all right? Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5 is the result where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now let me just be clear. When, when we make the, the Holy Spirit resident in us, when we first believe and he becomes resident in us, Certainly, we experience the beginnings of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, the wonderful list. But what we're seeing here is when we truly cry out to be sanctified through and through, we experience a greater measure, a, a, a deeper level, a deeper, deeper level of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right? And... Uh, that's what, that's what the Lord is able to, to bring about. He is able to bring about in each of us. Turning to the next slide, we see that the Holy Spirit, by the way, just, just to be uh, clear, actually these pointers, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, I'm going to have to get my money back. Um, but uh, what I want to be clear on is Please understand, I don't want someone going away saying, man, Pastor Nick was teaching that there are six Holy Spirits active in our lives, okay? That's not what I'm saying. The diagram is just a diagram to show that the Holy Spirit is truly controlling our lives, truly in charge, truly in charge, okay? Now, if we go back to the previous diagram with uh, one less with one less uh, room or box filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Raven, can you maybe go back? Okay, yes. We go back there, all right? You see the carnal nature, all right? We believe in the Church of the Nazarene, and I believe that when we truly ask for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit, all right, he, by his power, cleanses, cleanses us through and through, cleanses that sinful nature, cleanses that carnal nature and gives us victory. If you read Romans 6 and Romans 7 and 8, there the Apostle Paul talks about, he talks about sin shall not be your master. He says sin shall not be your master. In other words, he, he, he says sin does not have to be controlling you all the time. You don't have to say, oh, I can't help but do wrong. After all, I'm just human. Well, we're human, but with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit filling us so that, so that we have the operation of the Holy Spirit at work in all these boxes. Let's go to the other slide again, all right? With victory over that carnal nature. But we have to live in sweet communion with the Spirit. We have to each day say, Lord, Keep filling me with your Holy Spirit. Amen? Lord, I want to live close to you. I want you to work inside of me through and through. Now, there is a problem with this diagram, and I mentioned this in a membership class recently. 
there's a potential problem. Someone can easily say, and you're, some of you are thinking this, someone can easily say, well, Pastor Nick, don't you think, don't you think your diagram would be better if you left one of the boxes empty and don't put the Holy Spirit in there because there's always room for growth. So some of you might be thinking, Pastor Nick, maybe you should leave one of the boxes empty. Don't, don't put the Holy Spirit in there because the reality is there is room for growth. And if you're thinking that, that's good thinking. Except it's not biblical thinking. And you say, why not? Here's why not. Because Ephesians says what? Ephesians, let's go back to the Ephesians verse on the screen, please. What does it say? Be filled with the Spirit. You, you, see, you see, it doesn't say, it doesn't say be nine-tenths filled or seven-tenths filled. It says be filled. And, and so, and so diagrammatically, that's why I put the Holy Spirit in all of those boxes, but we need to have the understanding, we need to have the understanding that there is still room for spiritual growth. We need to understand that you or I never get to the point that we are, we are so, um, so um, what shall we put it, or how shall we put it, that we are so... Um, what did you say? I'm hearing a whole bunch of words. <laughs> that we are, we are so uh, thoroughly, thoroughly, um, thoroughly, yeah, okay, that we're so thoroughly spiritual. Thank you. Johnny, was that you? Yeah, we must never get to the point where, where we think we're so thoroughly spiritual that, oh, nothing can touch us. Oh, we can never do wrong or we can never be tempted. The truth is you will always be tempted. All right, But through the Spirit and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have victory. We can have victory. All right, so let's go to the last diagram. Here it is. All right, the question is, where are you in your spiritual journey? That first diagram that I showed you really represents a person who as yet has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But the Spirit of God is knocking on your door and then, and then, the good news is, in our spiritual journey, we can come to the point where we say, Lord, sanctify me through and through. Holy Spirit, come take control of every aspect of my life, every room, every nook and cranny, every corner. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where are you at in your journey? As we receive communion today, I want you to think upon what I've shared with you. If, if you have come to the point where you have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says you're a part of the family of God. And we invite you, we invite you to celebrate your faith with the Lord's Supper. Amen? We invite you to celebrate your faith with the Lord's Supper. We are all at different stages in our spiritual journey. But regardless of where we're at, whether we're at the beginning stage or whether, whether we're at the stage where we have truly said, Lord, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
The good news is we're a child of the king. And he says, come to the table, celebrate your faith, celebrate through the Lord's Supper. So, my friends, I invite us now to bow our heads. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, work in each of us in accordance with whatever the person's need might be. Some, Lord, need to invite you into their lives for the first time. Some, Lord, need to surrender more of those boxes of life into your hands and to experience gradual sanctification. And others, Lord, need to come to that point of entire sanctification and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is a turning point for me. This is a crisis point for me. This is a time of decision. No holding back. I surrender all. Lord, wherever we're at, we're so glad that you have called us to be sons and daughters of the living God. And now we celebrate our faith in Jesus as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray.